0: Welcome back to World Cup Coffee and Tea at Northwest 18th in Gleason, home of OMN's Coffee Shop Conversations. Today we've got Paul Brainerd, a very recent inductee into the Oregon Music Hall of Fame. If there is a more versatile musician around here, I haven't met him. This weekend, November 25 to 27, he's herding the horn section of the band at the annual Last Waltz Show. You may know him better as that steel guitarist who plays everything from Ernest Tubb to Led Zeppelin to Thelonious Monk on this instrument. He's a native Portlander and has an awful lot to say about his music and his instruments. How did he react to his Oregon Music Hall of Fame honor? How did he get from being a horn player to fame as a steel guitarist in the first place? Let's meet Paul Brainerd, shall we? Oh, welcome to the cupping room. Thank you, Tom. This is where, that's, uh, that's coffee shop. The cupping bingo. room.
1: Lingo. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing funny going on here. Yeah.
0: No, you know, no, we've got, we've had those, we've had of, those jokes. Of course. Yeah, we, of course. Um, so, uh, you, the, the last waltz is coming up this
1: weekend. Yeah. hmm mm-hmm. And you're supplying the horns? Uh, supplying, more or less, yeah. <laughs> Leading, <laughs> arranging. Yeah, conducting. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, so this it's, is like the sixth year that we've done it, I think. Yeah. And now it's expanding. I, uh, astoundingly, expanding to three nights, three uh-huh. shows. Yeah. Started off with one, which we weren't sure what was going to do, and it sold out a couple times. And they went to two, and we were overreaching. And then <laughs> those sold out, and now they're doing three, and it looks like all three are going to sell out. So it's it's kind of an established tradition at this point. Isn't that great? Yeah, for a yeah. good cause too. Yeah, Jeremy Wilson Foundation. Yeah, yeah. It's helped many of us
0: out. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so, so you're you're arranging the just the horns.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, arranging and not not a, some arranging as much as anything transcribing because oh. what I got when they first put the thing together they they tasked me with putting the horns together because horns were a you know significant. Uh, component of the original last waltz uh-huh. and of a lot of yeah. those songs of the recordings, yeah, and um, so what I did is i I went in and, and got the recordings, a couple of different recordings, the best quality ones I could find of the live show, and um, tr- by ear transcribed as much of it as accurately as I could, Wow, and went back to the studio recordings and basically tried to suss out what they were supposed to be playing that night because there 's a lot of um, there's just a mishmash. I mean, what the different versions you hear of the even of the same recordings, so there's overdubs and edits and really? all kinds of stuff mixed in there. Yeah, and uh-huh. mistakes and if you listen, you can find some of the raw, very original raw recordings and uh-huh. it's rough stuff. I mean, Really? <laughs> I think they had guys kind of sitting in, some of the guys that had yeah. recorded the original versions and some people reading and some people just, you know, imp- kind of making <laughs> stuff up as they went. It's a real it's really interesting. But so basically, it was a big research project for me to to go and decode all that, wow. put it down on paper as accurately as I could, uh-huh. and adapt it a little bit to m- just make it work for what we were doing. How many tunes? Um, with the horns, there's maybe t- 15 or wow. a dozen or something like Jeez. that. And it, it fluctuates. They don't, some years they do, there's a couple that they don't always do. huh um, and every now and then they'll add one that we hadn't done before, and and I added some horns. Um, for instance, uh, something like makes no difference, which has uh-huh. a little bit of horn, you know, just the the saxophone basically uh-huh. in it, uh-huh. in the in the in the recording, and I fleshed it out a little bit, added some some brass and some stuff that kind of uh-huh. you know give the guys something to do, uh-huh. guys and gals.
0: Did Alan Toussaint arrange the original horns?
1: Some of them, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a there's a batch of them that he arranged for, um, originally was a New Year's gig uh-huh. in, um, it was before the, the last waltz, it was like the year or two years before that, they, they did a New Year's gig in New York and, and hired him to arrange a chunk of those tunes, which he did. And so that's Rock of Ages, that album, basically was yeah. taken from that live show. Is that right? Yeah. Huh. And, and I th- think maybe a couple of the album recordings he did too, either prior to that or uh-huh. they subsequently recorded those those uh-huh. arrangements. Huh. And then the, and there's a story about that that he supposedly lost the arrangements or his luggage got lost on the way to rehearsals for the gig. Oh, so so Levon put him or Rob Robbie Robertson had a somebody had a cabin up in the in Woods, you know, in the woods up yeah. there in the Woodstock and it was all snowed in and they took him up there for a couple of days and bought him a bunch of music paper and <laughs> he recreated the arrangements. Oh my god. Although I've secretly suspected that maybe he just hadn't finished them before I got there, I, mean, <laughs> I don't know. That that may just be complete supposition on my part.
0: Well, it's, it's weird. I I I I don't. I, I, you know I I don't see him as being somebody who doesn't. Finish.
1: I see. Mm-hmm. So he's no, very, that's very very buttoned that's, down. That's yeah. He about yeah. His, he He's a very organized. He was a very organized, yeah. A very organized guy. F- yeah. From yeah. from what I can tell. But so I think there was you know like somewhere around half a dozen songs were based on his arrangements. Um, and then Howard Johnson uh-huh. was, who was you know the Saturday Night Live band, the right. musical director for that. He did a bunch of the arrangements and he I th- maybe produced one or two of the band's first albums or was uh-huh. involved in in some of that stuff. So um, like a tune like Rag Mama Rag, you know, that's yeah. got him all over it. And he's yeah. playing the, the tuba. He's a low, uh-huh. low bra- he plays tuba and Barry Sax and bass sax and wow and um, big bassoon. lungs, <laughs> big bassoon. lungs. Yeah, he plays all yeah. that stuff. One of my favorite things that you can see him doing is the uh, Saturday Night Live skit of of um, Steve Martin doing King Tut. Yeah, which was like the world <laughs> debut of that song. He basically wrote it for that skit. <laughs> supposedly that was the most expensive production that, that, they, that Saturday Night Live <laughs> had done up to that point by like a lot. Yeah. And they were kind of freaking out that they spent so much money on it. But he's the guy that's playing the, I think he's got a bassoon or a Barry Sachs or something. Or is, yeah, he's got a, he's got something. He's, he's on the left of the horns in there. <laughs> so he wrote up... All that horn lines. Lou Lou comes busting out of the... Reggie Houston tells a great
0: story about um, when, of course, he was a Barry player in Fats Domino's band for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And he quit Mm -hmm. at some point, right? Probably about money, but you know. And uh, and they moved one of the uh, tenor players over to play Barry. Mm -hmm. And it didn't take but a few weeks before this new guy goes... You, I can't
1: do this. You got, <laughs> yeah. you got to bring him back. Yeah.
0: Is it really that that big difference?
1: Yeah. 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 There's. I what mean, I'm it? a brass player, so I, yeah. you know the difference between like trumpet and baritone horn. Uh-huh. When I was younger, I was played trumpet starting when I was a kid, and mm-hmm. and then I got into high school and they had enough trumpet players, so I switched over to baritone, which is you know a euphonium. It's like a yeah. The it's the same range as a trombone, but it's like yeah. a small tuba. Uh-huh. That thing took a ton more air I was right. and I played that in like the marching band and the orchestra and stuff for a year 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 or two, and then I went back to trumpet, and I was, like, this thing's like a little pea shooter." <laughs> can, it was like I had so much air it, it was the best thing I ever did for my trumpet playing at the I time, bet. really I bet. but I think I imagine it 's kind of the similar thing. just the volume of the instrument is like and there's no on a saxophone there 's not as much resistance like on a on a brass instrument you 're blowing your air through a little. This little hole in the in the um, in the mouthpiece, uh-huh. so you get a certain amount of back pressure. Yeah, and saxophone you don't have so much. So like the bigger a saxophone gets, like that air is just flying out of your yeah. out of your lungs. Yeah. yeah. So I believe that <laughs> Bruce Withycombe plays that has been the buried sax player all along in in the in the next waltz group. Uh huh. And we do a lot of stuff together. A lot of a lot of sa- a lot of recording sessions and uh-huh. a lot of live, you know. Live horn section stuff. Well,
0: who's in the horn section?
1: Well, we've got there's I think six of us. We've got see if I can remember. Starting from the bottom, uh, Tristan Forney plays the tuba. Yeah. Bruce on the barry sax. Pete Moss playing tenor sax. All right. uh, This year it's going to be Scotty Van Scoyck on the trombone. Uh huh. And he's did he did the first few with us and Patrick Lamb did a couple and now Scotty's back. Um, Mary Sue Tobin is playing alto and soprano. Awesome! Very important stuff in all this yeah. material. Yeah. Dave Moni on the uh-huh. trumpet.
0: Uh
1: huh. Is that all? And me, and I, I step in and and add trump kind of second trumpet here and there, but mostly I conduct. Yeah. Which yeah, just you know sort of holds everything together a little better and allows us to get by with fewer <laughs> rehearsals. <laughs> uh,
0: what What is the function of a conductor in a, for a horn section?
1: Well. Just like anything, it just keeps everyone together. I mean, you know, in theory, you don't really need one on something like this because uh-huh. everyone can count how many bars, and in theory, everyone knows what they're doing. I mean, all these, all these folks are great players, and they yeah. totally could. But it, de- it definitely helps to coordinate with the band. Some, sometimes, like, these, these, the, like a rock your typical rock band isn't necessarily used to playing with horn section. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh and the you know the horn section the parts are are formatted and you know it has a certain says okay s- certain number of bars before you come in and then you take this much rest and then you play this part a certain number of times so horn players are reading this and expecting it to go like it says on paper uh-huh. and the band is not used to reading something and following it on paper and maybe they vamp a few extra times or yeah. somebody forgets to come in and they go uh, yeah. you know go a couple extra bars or whatever <laughs> so in that situation if you've got, like, six horn players and some little thing like that goes awry, right, that's not a big deal if it's just a band that's used to playing together. You've got six different people saying, oh, oh, I should come in here, I should come in here. Or did they do, you know... So it's useful to have one person to say, no, hold on, don't come in, okay, come in now. Or, you know, that, that kind of stuff, just to help yeah. smooth over little things like that. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it also... I mean, I think it always just tightens a group up to... You know, everyone may know when the downbeat's coming and what the rhythm is, but you got somebody in front of you conducting and giving you a real clear downbeat and maybe Uh kind of miming out some of the figures with their hands. It Uh really, it kind of pulls everyone together a little more. And like I said, we do this, I mean, we've done it now six times, so everyone knows the material, but we really, you know, nobody has time to rehearse a dozen times. And if you only play it
0: once a year. (laughs) Yeah.
1: You know? So at this point, we're pretty much, the horns are pretty much making sure we make it to one rehearsal with each. There's two different house bands that do kind of split up the night, right? Uh Louis Longmire's, they they call themselves the Crackers, Uh which I think is some early incarnation of some members of the band in some other form or something maybe. There's some historical reference to that or some record was maybe put... um, sort of uh, put out under that name temporarily uh-huh. or something like that. I can't yeah. remember the story. Yeah. So Louis, he's the second set and then Birth the Line and the Cajun Love Brigade uh-huh. um, they do the Steve first Karen. half. Yeah, so yeah, yeah Steve, yeah. Crystal and all that. Yeah. Um, Greg Hyatt, Mark Bowden, great band. So they um, they sort of split the night as the backup band. So there's there's two sets of rehearsals, and each of those bands is doing, you know, a dozen tunes or whatever, so there's sort of two sets of rehearsals, and they wow. got to get together and rehearse with each of these different singers. Oh, so <laughs> there may be, you know, at least two or three rehearsals of each of those lineups, and in the past there were more. Yeah. So at this point, the horn, like, you know, who can, at this time of year, you got holidays and everything. Right. So we're lucky to make it to one or two rehearsals with each band, so it's, even though everyone knows their parts already. Yeah. It's, it's helpful, you know, I can just get up there and conduct and that yeah. sort of shortens the, yeah. the learning curve a little bit, It makes it easier. Well, good. And it's fun for me, otherwise I wouldn't have anything to do. <laughs> really, I mean, Dave's a much, much better trumpet player, I mean, I don't know, I don't, I don't keep my chops in, in the kind of shape that you need to be like a lead trumpet player of a section, you know? Well, it's
0: because you play a million other instruments. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I have kids, I have young kids now too, so I have any notion of two. What kind? Uh, one of each. Really? Yeah. How old like are they? Four and a half, a girl, Olivia, she's four and a half, and yeah. then Lowell, he's about, He's just over nine months. So <laughs> Oh my God. He busy. Yeah, started late. Wow. But, you know, better late are than Are you better. sleeping? Uh, once in a while. <laughs> you know, but get up, get up, wake up in the middle of the night to to. To give the baby some some milk and get it back down, and then that's an o- opportunity to work for a couple hours, you know, that I otherwise wouldn't have. So, well, that's a good way
0: to look at it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, how? How? Congratulations on being inducted into the Oregon Music Hall of Fame. I thought
1: it was fabulous. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Uh, what good. did you think? I was I was surprised for sure. I mean, yeah. I can easily rattle off a long list of, of people that that I would think would be in line well before me to get into that but of course i'm honored and 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 pleased and tickled and i i think this year it sort of seemed like they they made a you know they maybe have different themes each year different sort of groups of of mm-hmm. people they try to highlight and this year they kind of focused on some of the some of the kind of indie rock pioneers that yeah. put portland on that map yeah. in the last decade or two yeah. and with you know fernando p Krebs, obviously bernberg yep. yep. Right. Um and then so I kind of ride the coattails of that as as the sideman. They they have a little bit of a sideman category. So yeah. yeah. You know, I played on on records with all those folks and in different bands with all of them and uh-huh. either either steel or horn or different things and so I think I think that's sort of how I got in. Basically, I, I was I was the <laughs> I was in the right place at the right time. That's where down to. Well,
0: congratulations. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, thank you very much yeah you know, I don't think there's anybody who doesn't think you deserve it well, you know I, I appreciate that very much um so okay, so you were playing trumpet as a kid mm mm-hmm. when did the when did the guitar
1: bug bite you oh seventh grade i think really a friend of my dad's was played guitar Play, he in and, and this isn't yeah you know, this is in portland this is so this is in the in the seventies whatever the, yeah late 70s or something, maybe early 80s, I don't know, and uh, so yeah, but my dad was a guitar player, had a Telecaster, and uh-huh. was really into R&B and blues and stuff like that, and uh-huh. so I would, I, would be, I would go over there with my dad sometimes and hang out, and, I'd, and he'd play some guitar and show it to me, I was like, man, that's like the coolest thing, and so I gotta get one of those things, so I talked my folks, you know, I started looking in the, in the Oregonian and the classified ads uh-huh. from back before Craigslist and such. And uh, found some electric guitar for 100 bucks. I think it was, a guitar and an amp, and talked my folks <laughs> into buying it for me for a present or yeah. whatever. And it was, you know, it was, I think it was an EKO, one of those Italian uh-huh. surf knockoff kind of guitars <laughs> that didn't play that great and sounded pretty bad. And the amp was some homemade tube thing that buzzed like crazy. <laughs> and, the, of course, the first chance I, I got, I went and bought a distortion pedal that buzzed even worse so. yes of course <laughs> it was of course single coil pickup it was just a, it was who were a, you listening to then well you know I, I mean sort of through my dad and and his friend like i was into some r&b stuff i mean mm-hmm. you know like chuck berry mm-hmm. and they were into nrbq i remember <laughs> and and um you know sort of classic 50s blues R and B kind of stuff, uh-huh. and I got into the Beatles, got really into that, and, and you know at school and Zeppelin and like you know sort of classic rock at that at that time was uh-huh. I mean maybe ACDC even Stones uh-huh. sort of got into all that all that stuff, and then but then when I got to high school sophomore year of high school I went to Wilson and uh-huh. so, and um, my sophomore year Jackson High School closed, and all those kids came over, and their band director came over. And previously, Wilson had just had sort of a classical, had a marching band and a concert band. Uh-huh. But Greg McKelvey came over from Jackson and, and started up a stage band. So I, so I got in on that. And uh, at first I was playing trumpet, but there was better trumpet players. For, I was, you know, and I was taking lessons, but really uh-huh. studying classical m- music. But I had this guitar, and there was no guitar player. So... I said yeah here's some sheet music and I, I was like all these chords symbols I was like I don't know what this means but I can figure it out yeah so that's when I started started learning jazz and they and Greg and Thera memory was assistant got on as assistant band director and was oh, wow. given lessons and stuff wow. there. So I, wow. so I took like beginning jazz theory with with him basically well, that, was, that was in his wild days Yes. Yeah. He was. Yeah. I'm not sure what used to go on in the practice rooms aside from practicing. No, I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah but he was. A, he was a. He was a character and a very yeah. inspirational and and a great great guy. Yeah. And uh, man, we used to go sneak down and see him at you know the Hobbit or uh-huh. Remos or a place like that. Jazz core.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. Um, but so so those so so he and Greg basically said, oh, you need to go listen to like. Wes Montgomery and BB uh-huh. King and T Bone Walker and Kenny Burrell yeah. and guys like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I started learning learning that stuff and said, Hey, this is this is cool. And I started taking more lessons. I took some lessons with John Stoll and uh-huh. Dan Balmer, learned uh-huh. some more jazz jazz stuff. So jazz guitar but, became kinda of my focus. But you didn't end up holding the, the, the neck no. straight up. No, that's that's John's <laughs> particular innovation. I mean, man, he's good. I asked him about that once. Mm-hmm. He says, because it gives me piano voicings. It, you know, if, if you ever try it, it's, it's amazing. It's like, well, think about like a cello or, yeah. you know, a yeah, ba- yeah, any, yeah. it really, the ergonomics with your hand and your wrist, it, uh-huh. it does, it, it's, if you, you put the, pull the neck down where people usually have it and you're cramping your hand and bending uh-huh. it around and you, unless you've got really long fingers, which yeah. I don't particularly, yeah. but you bring it up next to you and all, it's just super easy and you can just spread <laughs> way out. It really makes a ton of sense. It really does. <laughs> So that's so yeah. That's where I got into like jazz and uh-huh. guitar more, more in depth, and but still playing trumpet. And uh, I played I, for a brief period there. I took I jumped on tenor sax for like a year. I think that was in eighth grade or something. <laughs> Just and I'd taken piano for way back. I started on piano in yeah. like fourth grade for a little bit. Huh. Didn't didn't take it too seriously for very long. But yeah. I still have piano. I still I mean that's course gotta have piano right? but the
0: steel bug hadn't bitten you yet
1: I didn't even know one was really I didn't know what a steel guitar was wow. for even even through so I went to college went to academic college but still end up majoring in music and playing jazz guitar playing trumpet sort of yeah. all that got on playing a band playing rock blues all whatever and then then I decided to go to grad school music school huh. so I went I went to New England conserv the New England Conservatory. Took uh-huh. a year off, came back to Portland. Yeah, checked out, you know, the grunge scene, whatever yeah. <laughs> was going on. Didn't get too far into it, but uh-huh. but um, used to appreciate a lot of that. Then I satiric, went back to the Shitara thing. thing. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Monica Nelson scene. Yeah, I saw some amazing stuff. <laughs> S- then. Uh, then I went back to Boston, went to this, this, the conservatory, which, and studying classical composition, but I, was, but I was also playing in the jazz band there. Mm-hmm. They didn't know I was a classical composition major. They thought I was a jazz composition major, so I <laughs> got away with it, until they discovered that and they kicked me out. <laughs> but still playing, and, and sometime while I was living there, I, I, um, my, I was living with my housemate, who had been one of my roommates in college. He was going to MIT, and he was a deadhead. So he's always always playing Grateful Dead, which ah. you know I appreciated. Yeah, for here and there. But so we were playing some something of theirs, and there's Jerry Garcia playing steel on on you know a couple of their albums in the yeah. '70s. Yeah. And I don't know I don't know how I suddenly all of a sudden something clicked. I heard it. I was like, that's not a guitar. What is that? And I was like, oh, that's a pedal steel guitar, isn't it? Yeah. And I started listening more <laughs> to that, and I was like, that's a really cool sound. And uh, I grew I'd grown up. Like, my mom was into country, more into country music when I was a kid, uh-huh. and like the sev- like outlaw country, you know? So I,
0: uh-huh.
1: I had some country music appreciation, but I wasn't a huge country fan. But but I knew, I, suddenly I kind of realized what steel guitar was, and I decided I was gonna get one, because I just sounded cool. Yeah. So I went, I actually, actually ended up in Nashville. I took a road trip to Memphis to visit my, my one of my cousins was getting married there, so I drove down there. Uh-huh. And I literally just got off the freeway in Nashville and pulled into a, a strip mall and there was a music store <laughs> and I went in there and they had a little beginner, little showbud Maverick yeah. for five hundred bucks or something and I bought it. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> and I had asked around a little bit when I was in Boston. There's not you know, there's not a ton of country scene up there, but I'd asked around and I'd talked to one guy in a music store and he's like, Oh yeah, he told me a little bit about the brands and what to look for, and he uh-huh. said, just, you know, don't get a show, don't get a, Maverick. if you see a show bud Maverick, just, those are kind of beginner steals, don't get one of those. So, of course, the first one I saw was, yes. I, buy, I had to buy it. <laughs> so, I had that one for a few years,
0: uh-huh.
1: and messed around on a little bit, started playing a little bit with a, a band, and there was another band in Boston at the time that had been guys that were, I was at college with, and I started playing with them, kind of sitting in, and they played every week at this place in, in Cambridge and so I just got the very basics down uh-huh. you know they were playing rock college rock yeah classic rock and stuff and um, then I came then I finished
0: a lot of times there was a sp- there was a space for a, for, a, for oh, steel in, those, sure. in that music though
1: yeah and they you know they were playing say some Rolling Stones and there's you know right. Ron Wood plays some yeah, some real yeah, basic yeah, pedal yeah, steel yeah. and some of that stuff or even Zeppelin Jimmy Page does yeah. I mean right. You know, it's something like Tangerine or Down by the Ocean. There's there's yeah. you know there's some steel in that stuff and you can fit it in just about anything, of right. course.
0: Jackson Brown, Neil Young, yeah. all those people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah of course. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I that that and, and Grateful Dead, you know, Jerry, <laughs> yeah. Garcia, like yeah, yeah. new riders of the Purple Sage. Right. And so that that sort of body of stuff was the first stuff I got into on steel. And then I came back out to Portland after school, and I was working and I was started playing, started going around like the blues scene and, and getting, you know, getting into that and getting some gigs and going to blues jams and all that, getting know all those people. Sort of got interested in that and jazz and still kind of uh-huh. trying to do some jazz stuff and doing a few gigs on here and there. But I kind of forgot about steel for a little bit. In fact, I didn't, I didn't manage to bring it back. Well, on the way back out, I dropped it off in Nashville again to get, a couple of knee lovers added to it, uh-huh. which I didn't realize at the time, you just it's not really worth going to the trouble and expense to add knee lovers to a show Maverick. They kind uh-huh. of are what they are. <laughs> so then this guy had it for a while, for a year or two. He just didn't, wouldn't get around to it, and finally I said, just send the thing out here. And he was like, yeah, that's <laughs> probably better. <laughs> so I got it, and then I got kind of re-interested in it again. And I started buy, I started seeing them around, I started like buying ones, and... I traded that one, I think, for a bass or something. Some, <laughs> and it came up years later. I, I actually saw the thing on stage at a gig. I was going down.
0: The same guitar? That,
1: yeah, that actual one. Wow. I walk into Dante's for some gig and the one of the opening bands. There's my old steel on stage. And I'm like, holy cow. How did you know that was the one? I was, it was just un, it was recognizable, definitely. <laughs> and, I went up and, I, and and the guy's like, hey, you can play if you want. And I sat down. at One of the funny things about it, there one of the... Um, pedals had been set up like wrong all along i learned with this kind of <laughs> wrong change where it was way out of adjustment yeah and i didn't know and and later when i started buying better instruments and i had to kind of relearn that that pedal <laughs> and so this thing i sat down at it and sure enough it was still doing that same like you pull the string way up too high to another note in the chord but it wasn't the one that you usually would do <laughs> and i was like Oh yeah, I'm still doing that. And I tried to. Adjust. Now I knew what I was doing. I tried to adjust. I couldn't get it adjusted. I'm like, well, it's, <laughs> it's just how that one is. <laughs> but I went through a whole series of steels and learned and started buying some old crusty ones and taking them apart and clean them up and uh-huh. adjust, learned all the mechanics and spining them and selling them and trying different brands and eventually, eventually got a few basic chops together. And then right around this time is when like all country. Oh, started, yeah! You know, this is our early, like mid '90s. Yeah, so you know the some of the um, some of the all country stuff started up, and I'm playing in a couple of bands. I was playing in a rockabilly band, and they kind of uh-huh. knew I played steel. I tried it out a little bit, and then uh, the ba- the bass player in that band worked, was working an electric company with Willie Vlotten and they had, uh-huh. had Richmond Fontaine, and yeah. so he said, hey. I don't know, somehow or other, he told him that he knew a steel player and Willie was looking for one. so he calls me up out of the blue. I'm like, well, I'll give it a try. You know? yeah. yeah. And about the same time, I also had was starting to hang out a little bit with, um, oh, there was Jesus Presley. I, I had oh, already started Tony? playing with Jesus Presley because there was a bunch of folks I was hanging out with. Oh, Tony. Tony. Oh, my yeah? God, Tony. And they were like, oh, you play steel? Come <laughs> on, give it, a, you know, give it a try. So I did. Tony I, is a unique individual. Oh, one, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> very very unique <laughs> but he, but that was a, that band and that that little movement in yeah. time that was like the cocktail nation yeah, yeah. psychedelic lounge music or yep. something yep so yep. that was kind of the first band that I really played steel in actually huh was because I was really just a beginner but it uh-huh. was fine because it, you know everyone in that band was no, nobody was was flashing a ton of chops and there was just we were kind of making up like two chord jams and stuff and all I had to do was put a Nice thick delay pedal on it, and it just—you know—everyone was like, "Oh, that sounds great." So, so that for a little while, and then, and then I, and then, uh, then I started linking up with like Willie and uh, Little Sue and Fernando Uh and um, people like that, and started started hanging out, playing like at the Laurel Theater, where there was a lot of kind of country-ish alt-country stuff and all that kind of country rock crossover that was happening at that time. And, and then suddenly I found that like, there was me, me and Pete Burak uh-huh. was, was in town. He's, and he had played, I mean, he was a better steel player than I was. He'd been playing for a while. But we were the only two guys like, in that kind of crossover world. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. it was like anyone that, want, ev- all of a sudden everyone wanted steel guitar because nobody had known what it was before really uh-huh. around here. Uh-huh. And we were the only two guys that played rock music. Ah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So I got sucked right into all that. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And you know, people...
0: what, what, when you were learning, while you while you were on this learning curve, did you have uh, any uh, steel guitar heroes?
1: Yeah, um, I discovered early on. I mean, of course, Buddy Emmons. Everyone always tells you Buddy right. Emmons, Buddy Emmons, right. and that he was. I mean, he was the man that one of the one of the ones, but he really took it the yeah. furthest. Yeah. And Jerry Bird, I discovered. Uh, just by chance, I used to just go around to record stores and, and even uh-huh. steal guitar records or just buy them without necessarily yeah. knowing what they were. And one of them was a Jerry Bird album. And Jerry is kind of the one of the great masters of the lap steel guitar. Yeah. Not pedal, no pedals, just right. doing it all with right. the bar. And yeah. But he was a, just a real master of playing with slants and getting different voicings out uh-huh. of just a straight tuning and i didn't realize that at first i thought it was pedal steel so i learned i got this wow. one record and i learned all this stuff on pedal steel huh. and then i come to find out he didn't have pedals and i was like i was like wow <laughs> but i'm i'm kind of glad i did because that gave me a real appreciation
0: did he just use a regular guitar
1: well it was just no a steel guitar a lap okay. steel all right you know play on your own yeah, yeah 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 yeah
0: like mary flower has yeah, yeah yeah exactly yeah
1: and then i then i realized i better I better take a step backwards and get a hold of a lap steel and figure out uh-huh. where this all came from. But he got me into like he's a real co- crossover between Hawaiian and country. I mean, he's from he grew up I think in Ohio. Yeah. And went to Nashville yeah. and played yeah. on a lot of early yeah. country stuff, but he was really deeply into the Hawaiian music.
0: Yeah. yeah. That's funny. Back in the in the in the seventies, mm-hmm. um, I hooked up with this guy who had been in some John Waters movies. Mm-hmm. His name was Cowboy. That's all anybody knew him as. Mm-hmm. Well, so I got, kind of got to know him, and it turns out he was a musician, mm-hmm. and he had regular guitars, but he would play them on his lap, like wow. they were lap, like they mm-hmm. were lap, lap, lap mm-hmm. steel guitars, right? And he was great, and he had had this long career, he was an old man then, mm-hmm. and he had this long career where he started out in Wild West shows, playing country, and then switched to Hawaiian. So he had this really weird combination of country and Hawaiian guitar playing, right? right. Uh, and he was he was really a strange he was a strange old guy. I'm telling you, he mm. grew his own dope and, <laughs> and and made his own wine and, and would make le- I would I would get him gigs. I was managing him for a while, mm. and he would make lays for, he uh, and and then teach teach girls time steps, you mm. know. And from time to time. In the green room, showed him his dick, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's the <laughs> usual thing. Yeah, and um, uh, and I renamed him the legendary cowboy folk. F O U L K. It was, it was mm-hmm. his last name. Right. and And um, and he had these he had these great guitars, and he would like drive to he he was he was in the seventies right. And he would drive to Ohio for gigs and stuff <laughs> and come back. And one time he was uh, uh, in a wreck. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, it, and it destroyed all his guitars. And I found a triple neck Gibson, mm-hmm. to, uh, uh, and I got it for him. And he just wailed on it, wailed on yeah. it, you know. And um, I, just before I moved to LA, this is in Baltimore, just before I moved to LA, I got him a gig playing with the New Riders, uh, to opening up solo mm-hmm. with his hula dancers <laughs> uh, for New Riders of the Purple Sage. Uh-huh. And then he died. It's like, Just, he he uh, was he was, like, he was back, yeah. he you know he was he was where he should he was where he should be in a club playing playing for a national you know opening for a national musician, and then he died. Maybe. Great old guy.
1: Just a great old guy. Wow. I'd, love to, <laughs> I'd love to check out some some recordings. No, there's nothing. No, I have the only one. Have- I,
0: I actually I, I I I converted it from a cassette. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> he would play. Um, his 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 number one tune was uh, theme from the Bird of Paradise. Do you know that? No. I'm yeah, that was to... that was his uh, that was a, that was a Hawaiian tune.
1: Well, I'm, I wonder if that's the same. It's probably the same one. I had. There's a speak, speaking back to about Jerry Bird. There's a yeah. there's a album called Bird of Paradise. B-Y- really, his last name is B Y R D, and it's uh-huh. spelled like that. I bet, you. I'll I'll bet, it bet is. you. I bet you. Yeah. I bet I. Yeah. I do know that tune, or I have yeah. at least.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's funny, you know. Uh, uh, but um, he was a strange old guy, mm-hmm. you know. But because John Waters collected strange old people mm-hmm. or strange people in general, and he was in a couple of the early movies. Didn't do anything. It was just yeah. like in crowd scenes and stuff. <laughs> but anyway, so, right. um, so you're you're in the middle of a of a of a, of a multi-genre thing for the, for the steel guitar, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. Yeah yeah there wasn't a, there wasn't a lot of that was there
1: but you were talking about like in, yeah, going back to my detailed history of myself yeah, <laughs> in, yeah. The, in the nineties um, no, yeah, there were still and the thing is there were still guitar players around, and yeah. there still are a, a lot of guys have been just playing country mm-hmm. ever since you know the sixties or whatever yeah, but they were all just playing country yeah. and playing at the the truck stops or you know playing mm-hmm. at, at jubits or or Mrs. B's or the drum or, you know, kind of out, out around the suburbs but as far as like the kind of more current rock more rock oriented crossover yeah. m- music in town there really wasn't anyone playing steel yeah. and I don't know if, you know, I don't know if any of those guys were too interested in it or you know, it just wasn't, wasn't what they had been playing forever and it's the new thing so they're kind of like, ah. And frankly it wasn't the first country rock revival by any means, right. you know. Right. I mean, going back to the 60s, I mean, the, sure. say the Burrito Brothers or you know, yep. the Burrs, yep. any of that business. Yep. And I know some of these guys, I mean, you take a guy like, uh, like Harley, Harley James. Mm-hmm. He, he comes out of, that, out of that scene for sure, you know. And he's, he's definitely part of the old guard of Portland Steel players. You know, like mm-hmm. Him and Larry Bam and there's a bunch of great guys. Doug Jones, mm-hmm. great, great players, very accomplished players. But at this particular time, you know, we were, we were in that scene and yeah. hanging out. So, so I got a ton of work and a, a ton, of, ton of gigs and did a lot of records and a lot of reason to practice. And I decided to take it a little more seriously and get a little better at it. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was like, I'm not going to try to be, you know, the greatest steel player ever or nothing. But as long as I can just not be totally embarrassed to be on stage. Mm-hmm. So I made a little bit of effort, and I started trying to learn some jazz stuff too, because you know I mean, still have jazz background, still play jazz guitar. Now played.
0: there really is, there really aren't any jazz.
1: Well, there are, of course, there are jazz steel players. Well, I mean, there's not, guys. You look around. There's, there's very few. There's not, yeah, maybe not as many as just the traditional country players, right. but there are some very accomplished guys in New York and Nashville and L.A. and you know, even around, even I mean, even around. Well,
0: here. Wojtek here, he does. Yeah, that. yeah, exactly. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Right. You know what you, what you ought to do? I, I don't know if you've ever been to one of the steel guitar jams they do. Like, and these are around the country, like every state, you know uh-huh. there's little steel guitar associations uh-huh. and clubs. And, <laughs> and they get together at the Elks Club or the Moose Lodge <laughs> or whatever truck stop and have. And the ones in Portland, Larry, Larry Bem kind of leads in at Doug Jones. Uh-huh. And they either do it at. There's one coming up at Jubits. They've done it at Jubits or really? they've done it at a couple of the Elk Lodges. Yeah, maybe like twice a year and you'll show up and you'll be amazed guys from all around the state and up in Washington there mm-hmm. might be there might be 20, 30, 40 steel players wow, you jam with those? yeah yeah if I, mm-hmm. anytime I can I can't mm-hmm. always make it but they'll set up and they'll get on the dance floor and set up in a big circle really? and, there's a ho- and the house band is on the stage <laughs> and, the, and like everyone, everyone's welcome everyone goes yeah. and uh, the, the count they do about three songs per set mm-hmm. they count off a song yeah. sing, bass player somebody sings one verse and then they go take a solo all the way around. Everybody oh. takes a solo. <laughs> Every player doesn't matter how if you're a pro or if you're a beginner. Everyone's you know everyone's got different setups and different sometimes a lapse. Is it, it competitive? No, no, it's very supportive. Oh, no, actually, too this, that's too bad. It, yeah, yeah, it's not like a it's not like a bebop cutting associated. session. Yeah, no, oh, right. That's no. too, too bad. Not, yeah.
0: those, those, are, those are fun
1: no (laughs) but it is a whole lot of steel guitar wow and and you'll learn some stuff you can see you know everyone's Uh talking and sharing information and swapping stories and gear and whatever (laughs) how how is playing um uh, steel and jazz is is it any different it's well in theoretically i mean in terms of the theory and and stuff no it's you know the same notes and scales are there and all the same rules apply Uh or don't technically it 's a challenge because um you, you might move pretty quickly you know there's a and you 're playing with a steel bar you don 't have frets, yeah, and so you 're slinging this this little five or seven ounce piece of metal around and yeah. trying to stop in the right spot, and if yeah. it's a fast tune that's really hard,
0: yeah, yeah. like Donna Lee, for instance,
1: yeah <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah some yeah, something like that <laughs> which I could barely pull off on a guitar. <laughs> But well, Draco
0: it, did it with a fretless
1: bass. Yeah, so there you go. There you go. It can be done. It's yeah. like does on the, on the fiddle. Um, it, so it can be done. The other thing is this, the, the tunings that have evolved on the steel are kind of, you know, they've been developed over time, and the standard tunings really lend themselves to certain kind mm-hmm. of styles. There's, and the, mm-hmm. the, the two most common, you see a double neck pedal steel, it's probably got a C6 tuning on the front, an E9th on the back. And they call that the Western, like the C6 is the country. Or the Western tuning, and the the United is like the country Nashville tuning. Yeah, and they and they do lend themselves to kind of styles. But the C the C neck, they also sometimes call the jazz neck, or it's good for like Western swing and uh-huh. that kind of stuff, uh-huh. and maybe more for Hawaiian. That's where you usually end up playing, trying to play some jazz, because you've got a lot of ninth and sixth voicings and uh-huh. some altered chords that you can get, uh-huh. and you can play a scale straight across the neck with without too many bar moves. Yeah so (laughs) you gotta get first you gotta get good on the C neck which is usually people's most steel players focus on the E neck first Mm -hmm. because it's maybe more common more Mm -hmm. in popular music so if you get a hold of the C neck and get into that to where you can play a lot of scales and stuff then you can start trying to play some some jazz which, which I am working on yeah, you know, for sure.
0: You and I were on the same gig one time
1: mm-hmm.
0: for a David Vest gig yes. at Duff's.
1: Yes, the professor,
0: uh, and uh, I was reading Sun Ra poetry with the band, mm-hmm. and you were playing Monk.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Were you playing a C neck that night?
1: Probably, yeah. yeah? There's a There's you a think? few Monk tunes that i love to play on steel that lay well on the C neck, although there's a couple that lay on the E on the E side too. Uh-huh. But if
0: are they more difficult or or Monk?
1: Tunes you know, yes and no I mean his his conception was was very out there and and mm-hmm. different than yeah. you know a lot of a lot of more mainstream players, but in a way, a lot of his tunes they're simple in some other ways too you know I mean he would just, like his chord changes might just kind of go up and down by a half step a lot mm-hmm. of dominant chords mm-hmm. just sort of in unusual patterns yeah. Or sometimes the pa- I maybe mean, I don't know if we were doing something like epistrophe, which is yeah. I mean, simple. It's really simple. It's got four chords in it yeah. more or less. But <laughs> the pattern, you know, you have the. There's kind of like this inverted, like the A section is sort of like an a, a, a sub A B A B section, and then B A B A, re- inverted, mirror imaged. Uh-huh. You know, you have to, uh-huh. and you can't lose your place going. And they're all moving by half steps, so you can get confused real easily. And then you go to this bridge. It's just like this classic swing bridge, and yeah. then it goes back yeah. to this weird yeah. chromatic and is kind of angular, weird melodies. Yeah, very strange and hard to hard sometimes to figure them out, but then it lays perfectly on the steel, because that melody yeah. dee 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 yeah. is all um, you know, major sixth and, and dominant seventh, which mm-hmm. is that interval is just available right across uh, a four-string gap on the yeah. C neck. So yeah. you're just kind of moving up and down by half steps, alternating with yeah. string you're picking. It's right there. It actually, once you figure it out, it lays perfectly. And then you figure out, well, how do you solo on this chord that's moving back and forth by half steps, like, <laughs> you know, twice a measure? Yeah. Well, if you work out the melody and going up and down, it's just a diminished scale. You just play this one diminished scale, uh-huh. fits the whole thing the whole time. <laughs> I think that's where he was. Go- that's what he was getting at with that. He's like, okay, I can make the weirdest chord progression of just seventh tunes, bouncing up and down by half steps, <laughs> but guess what? It's just a diminished scale the whole time. Just this one scale just fits it. So once you sort of figure out where he's coming from, it's like, oh, yeah. It kind of fits together neatly, and then the next night, you
0: might be in a you might be in a band playing an Ernest Tub tune, mm-hmm. where you make people cry. Yeah, because the, the emotional nature of that instrument is is just so deep.
1: Yeah, plus plus it's often out of tune, so sometimes some of them are crying for <laughs> <laughs> other reasons. No, really, but really. Uh, yeah, it's true. That it it's really
0: different. is an emotional instrument.
1: Yeah, you know, it pulls at the it pulls at the heartstrings. The bending the cor- Yeah, the slide. I mean, if you think about it, you take, it's a guitar fundamentally, yeah but you, you're playing it with a slide, so it's got a lot of sustain, and it's uh-huh. got that sweepy, slidey, yeah. you know, yeah. bendy thing. And then you add pedals, so not only are you sliding between voicings, but you're also bending notes within those voicings, and sometimes as you slide between them. Yeah. So there's just a whole lot of bending and twanging going on. And if you're listening to it, I think it—it it, it just sort of fundamentally reaches in and grabs you in a way that other instruments... You know they—they they don't have that sort of mechanical aspect built in to do it. Yeah, it's cheating, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a guitar player, a piano player has to play something yeah. that makes you cry. The right. steel player just kind of bends a note, and you go. oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, so, do you still have the Hawaiian band?
1: I yeah, I, I I I love Hawaiian music. I've ended up getting pretty deep into it. The name of the band is. Well, when I lead, I mean, I'm not. I don't lead projects myself very often but when I I I did end up getting a group together and we started calling ourselves the the poo-poo platters (laughs) the the fabulous poo-poo platters which um is kind of silly name but also it's very descriptive because I mean I you know will play and I I get to work in some of my own material in in Mm -hmm. a group like that and it'll be um it may be standard, maybe country, Western swing, country yeah. stuff, or or Hawaiian numbers, or Hawaiian style numbers that I've written, or some R and B, funky blues stuff, and it and it all kind of ties together by virtue of the steel in mm-hmm. a way, mm-hmm. sort of doing all these different styles. So you know, if you think of a poo poo platter, it's kind of like an appetizer yeah. tray, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, <laughs> uh, my buddy, my buddy Eddie Lacaden, who plays percussion, uh-huh. and usually usually is on the, on the percussion with us he says that poo um he's he's from hawaii he says poo means uh tasty treats or something i thought so poo poo is really tasty <laughs> so that's our
0: our aim to be really are you still doing the star day gig
1: yeah i've got a couple things going at the star day although it's a mm-hmm. kind of a varied schedule um the i i've I, i've been doing I started off trying to do every Tuesday happy hour there. Yeah. And Tuesday's a hard night, you right. know, to, to get out in every week happy hour, especially with kids and dinner time and bedtime. So I cut it down to every other Tuesday. And, and I, was, I was doing like a steel guitar jazz trio yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. I saw and it with Sam Howard. Yeah, Sam yeah. and Russ Kleiner were doing it. with, yeah. And a, a variety of people have, right. have jumped in there with me. Lately, Galen Clark has been playing. Is keys. that right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so we do like kind of an organ, organ trio huh. version of it. <laughs> Um, a couple of different guys on drums um, so so now what i've got it down i 've doing one the second Tuesday of the month with that. Uh-huh. then the fourth Tuesday, this, this uh, there's another goofy thing that I do sometimes the i don't know if you've seen around the Baldwin Fun machine. Uh-huh. I do a band based on it's an old funky home organ keyboard thing you know <laughs> with a built in rhythm section and all that, but it's kind of a space aged <laughs> sound in one. <laughs> Found one in a pawn shop uh, thrift store years ago and just had to buy it for 40 bucks and discovered I love like the way you can combine all the beats and the grooves and the sounds is, is really fun. That's uh-huh. the fun machine. So I started building a uh, kind of a band around it. It's the rhythm. I'm the rhythm section on it. Add horn section and add, yeah. you know, percussion and guitar maybe. And yeah. uh, so we, it sort of lends itself to holiday times. We mm-hmm. do sometimes some Christmas shows with it, or I've yeah. done a couple Halloween shows, and I'll work up a, a bunch of horn arrangements and, and do kind of like what The Last Waltz does, yeah. get v- a variety of singer, guest mm-hmm. singers to come and do tunes, and mm-hmm. also working up a re- repertoire of, of original instrumental stuff based on it, wow. and you can do a lot of weird stuff with it, and, and record with it, and overdub things to it, and, and it <laughs> becomes a, a weird little sort of basis for a, a, a concept. Anyways, the fourth, so the second Tuesday of the month, I'm doing this jazz guitar thing, Jazz Steel. Mm -hmm. The fourth Tuesday of the month, I started linking up with Ian Miller, Mm -hmm. if you know Ian, wizard, crazy, nutso guitar player. Mm -hmm. And um, we did a few things kind of country based where I was sitting on the fun machine and he's playing guitar. And then we started getting a little spacier and running it through some delays and an amp and some effects. So we kind of tripped it out and (laughs) deconstruct the rhythm section a little bit. And we we hit on something really cool with that. So we've been doing the fourth Tuesday of the month, the two of us, as a duo there. Uh And um, this today happens to be the fourth Tuesday. We've actually pushed it off. We're going to do it on the fifth Tuesday this month because this week (laughs) is just too nuts. It's my only chance to make the one... Next waltz rehearsal that I'll be able to make with <laughs> th- blow. it all ties together. Anyway, so those are my two happy hour gigs at the Star Day. Happens to be my like right around the corner from my house, so oh, great. the main thing is I yeah. can just walk there, you know. Yeah, <laughs> and I love the place. Justin, the guy that owns it, is how big is, is the really fun good. machine? It's like a like a small keyboard. It's yeah? it's a it stands up. You know, it's all built in. It's got speakers in the front, <laughs> and I mean, but it's not real heavy. I can yeah. I can get in the back of my truck myself. It's like a uh, I don't know, it's got five four or five octaves mm-hmm. and plus the left hand octave and mm-hmm. some buttons and it lights up all cool colors from behind. <laughs> it's got a little windshield on it for the music stand. It looks cool too. It's 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 um, it's an experiment in I do that, and then my buddy Eddie plays the, the percussion, and uh-huh. it's to me the the two of the, the like the rhythmic rigidity and mechanical yeah. aspect of it, yeah. and then he does the kind of loose human uh-huh. rhythm to it, and that's in a in a weird way. The concept is is like the dichotomy between mechanical, you know, digitized, mm-hmm. even though it's not really digital, but yeah. you know, yeah, 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 electronic music versus. The human free uninhibited, you know, expression. So it's it's that maybe it's almost like
0: it's almost like the theater organ concept. Yeah, yeah, it is
1: in a small package. Yeah, Yeah. but that's if I try to frame it as a as a high-minded concept that you might call BS on it, but it's something like
0: right down the street (laughs) from the Star Day Mm -hmm. in that old theater.
1: Yeah. Did you know that guy? Um, Bob White? The no. Bob White Theater or the Day Bo- Music no, Theater? No, no, the, those no, are both. No, Bob White Fox. Theater. Yeah, Bob. I, I, don't, I never you, knew Bob White, but I've been in oh, there. Oh, no, no.
0: Did you know about what, what, the guy who used to own it, who, who had like two dozen theater organs?
1: Yeah, well, yeah, I, you know, I went in there. Yeah. I kind of knew about the place. Then when he passed away and I the building went him. up for sale, I went and toured it with a realtor. It was amazing. Before they cleared out. It was, it was astounding. He was
0: had... Trailer truckloads of theater organs stashed uh, out in Lentz parked in a field. Wow! He was insane. I mean, he knew it. Mm -hmm. He he knew it. He, you know, uh, uh, he and he almost admitted it to me in the interview. Except he just stopped short when he knew (laughs) what he was going to say. You know, that everybody knew what he was going to say. You know,
1: got to the edge of the cliff and yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Because you know, he and you know what. It was just for him.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He wasn't going to open it to the public. He was going to completely redo the theater. He had in there the the manual from a big a big old theater in San Francisco that was in the back,
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> you know, and uh, but he, he but he was going to do that and reopen it, but just for himself. He wasn't gonna, It wasn't for the public. Really bizarre. Great story. Because mm-hmm. I had done a lo- a a big story on. Theater organs for the Oregonian, right? Well, mm. Both theater organs and, and, and concert organs. And after it ran, and I thought I had them all, mm. right? After it ran, I get this weird phone call. You left one out. <laughs> Meet me at this address. And I go there. It's a Bob White theater. It's completely destroyed inside, right? Yeah. He hadn't done anything to the inside. Uh, um, and and then led me to the back. And showed me, and, and it, it was bizarre. It was did, bizarre. Did he
1: have the warehouse that he built attached to it? Yes. The concrete. Yes. Just floors and floors of.
0: Yes. I mean, yeah. I there know.
1: was a floor, one floor of organs. Right. All everything from Hammonds to Wurlitzers oh, to yeah. Lowrys. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, then yeah, band yeah. instruments. Oh records, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Furniture. Yeah. Very I mean. strange
0: man. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, there may be one I recently discovered. Discovered this up on Skyline Boulevard. Yeah there's there's a house just not far off of Burnside and um, it's a it's a beautiful nice big like mo- like you know mid-century modern yes. s- sprawling place and there's and then there's a building off of it and I the story is somebody one of the founders of Tektronix or something built mm-hmm. this place or I don't, I'm not I'm not sure the whole details but there's this this auxiliary building that's like it's just this big open building yeah. and uh and you go in and there's like kind of a balcony and then a big open room down there and then the back end of it is all sort of concrete wall and stuff. Yeah. What apparently it was is whoever, whoever built this place or someone that bought it was, it was a big fan of, of pipe mm-hmm. organs, theater organs. And so his wife had this building built and bought an old, an old organ mm-hmm. out of San Francisco, yeah. I think. Yeah. Had it from some theater that was being torn down, had it shipped up here and installed in this building that was built to house that organ. Right, and because this guy was
0: with uh, all the pipes and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Right.
1: So the, and they had it in there for years. And it was just a private yeah. pipe organ yeah. building yeah. for this yeah. for this person. The pipe organ is no longer there, but but the, uh, it gets used sometimes for recording sessions. Ah, and, ah. and uh, so
0: I, I did guess. a TV story on on on, mm-hmm. on theater organs too. Mm-hmm. I found there were people who had them in, installed in their house. The mm-hmm. pipes would be in the attic, Yeah. the manual would, would be the entire living room, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and it was just the entire house was a, a musical instrument, <laughs> yeah. it was amazing. And I, 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 I ran across a couple of people like that. Mm-hmm. One was a guy who, um, uh, I don't know, he worked at, what's the, what's the, what was the piano store downtown? I forget, um, but it was a, a couple of yeah. piano stores ago yeah. Yeah. in yeah. that building. Yeah. Uh, and uh yeah he it's strange and they're they're very they're very interesting people yeah yeah. they're very interesting
1: people almost almost takes you to think about like some of the things they do out at burning man where they build like big interactive structure musical structures and stuff yeah yeah but well
0: listen thank you for coming in sure i appreciate it this Um, has been fun thank you uh and uh uh, I'll try to get down to after the start day eh? again.
1: Please please no. come to one, one of these ones. Yeah, generally the second and fourth Tuesday. I'm sorry it's a confusing s- schedule but the second it's and okay, fourth Tuesdays. It's okay cuz
0: your 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 you know your, your your website and schedule are right up on my this web, page. Yeah, yeah, right I, on this page, just be just above the uh the arrow where you click to uh, cool. play this. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> and I do
1: keep that schedule yeah. updated because that's literally my my calendar that I yeah. work off yeah. of for gigs. So <laughs>
0: Well, congratulations again on getting in the Oregon Music Hall of Fame. You you certainly deserved it, and I appreciate you coming in here. Thanks a lot. My
1: pleasure.